Hi everyone, I am very excited for you all to meet Charlie Graffius. Charlie and I met when we were both in undergrad via a class at Colby Sawyer College. We reconnected when I discovered his podcast, The Movement Fluidity Podcast. The Movement Fluidity Podcast aims to share stories and research related to movement disorders with a focus on cerebral palsy. The podcast serves as a platform to inspire and educate others. In our conversation, Charlie shares about his experiences with cerebral palsy. He also shares his motivations to positively impact others through work and research in kinesiology, exercise science, and movement disorders. He is currently pursuing graduate studies in motor learning and motor control at Teachers College, Columbia University. I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Hi, Charlie. Hi, Maddie. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. You went snowshoeing snowshoeing today? I did, yes. Just got back. I think we got about 13 inches last night here in Maine. So first storm of the year. I've been missing it a lot. And snowshoeing is probably my favorite winter outdoor activity. So I had to make sure I got it in today. Yeah. I haven't been snowshoeing since I was like five or so. So... How long were you out there for? Uh, about an hour today, and probably going to go back tomorrow. So. Wow. And you can't go snowshoeing in Central Park, can you? <laughs> if there's enough snow, maybe. Um, maybe. We'll see. I'll, I'll, I'll give it a go. That's great. So what part of New York are you in right now? You're at Columbia, right? Yeah, so I live right near the campus, which is in the Upper West Side of Manhattan. And it is a pretty quiet area compared to Times Square and everything, but still relatively close to that. And uh, it's the neighborhood is Morningside Heights, so that's where I am. And uh, I've been there since August and going to head back down there in a a few days. So uh, up in Maine now, but headed back down for the next semester pretty soon. Yeah, that's great. Um quick question for you i wanted to know when did you experience joy this week Ooh, definitely a lot of joy and i think one that stands out is or i guess not just one but really just any time i've been in nature here because that's something i'm really missing in the concrete jungle of manhattan and it's something that I definitely can connect spiritually with the world. So just going out in the morning and feeling the sun and the fresh air that doesn't have all the exhaust and all that in it. And just noticing the little things in the forest and everything. I feel like when I can just be mindful in nature and pick up on, you know, the colors and all these little things, then I'm in a good state mentally. So I've experienced a lot of joy with that. How about you? Anything recently? Well, I love hearing that, Charlie. That's really great. I, yeah, I, you know, I wasn't prepared to answer my own question, but I would say like seeing all my girlfriends yesterday was so wonderful. And uh, it was just a great time to connect with them. And hear about like all of their lives and their new updates. And one's going into grad school. Someone's 
trying to buy a house. Like there's a lot of things going on and everyone's at different wavelengths. But it's just really wonderful that we can still share in like the moment of connection together. And we had some good food together too. Oh, that's awesome. So that was wonderful. Yeah, thank you. I have been listening to your podcast quite a bit this past year. And I love it. It's great. It's also like the science backed up behind all your stories and the people you interview is really wonderful. And I then you reached out to me about my podcast and it was just really great to see all the work that you've been doing, all of your research. And I want to hear more about that uh, as we talk today. Yeah, well, likewise, I've, I've been listening to yours quite a bit and it was really cool that I found out you were doing it because I don't really know anybody else personally that has a podcast so figured I would reach out and then we've been going back and forth just about whether it's like a little thing on recording or or whatnot because there's so many intricacies of podcasting that I'm, I'm guessing both of us didn't realize when we got into it so it's been nice to bounce those things back and forth and uh, yeah just excited to be on here I've enjoyed listening to the guests and your solo podcast and I think you're doing awesome things it's a uh, mindfulness and everything you're preaching is is needed more in the world. So props to you for doing that. I appreciate that, Charlie. I uh, You've had a lot of good things that you shared on the podcast. I was like, oh, that's good. And I open up my notes app on my phone and I type it up. <laughs> it's like, that's so, so good. Uh, so I know that well, I'll encourage everyone listening to this to check out your podcast, but it's the Movement Fluidity Podcast. And I know that you go into like why you started the podcast in one of your episodes, but I'd love to hear um, the reason why again. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, that's what I did. I started off with the first episode and gave the background, and then I kind of tie that in in future episodes, but happy to go into that. So the, the reason I started the podcast was because I was born with a neurological condition or a movement disorder called cerebral palsy, which affects the movement uh, for me in the lower legs because my diagnosis is spastic diplegia so both legs are mainly affected and growing up I always was involved in sports and my friend groups were the most athletic kids and the kids on the sports teams and it was just my identity to be a part of that and wanting to fit in but not being able to coordinate my body the same way as some other people, especially as a young kid, was difficult at times. And that just led me down the path of continuing to pursue athletics and then getting into the science behind it and how I could create different training methods and different things to try to get closer to the level of able-bodied individuals and see some pretty cool progress that doctors did not believe to be possible. So all in all, through that journey, I've made a lot of progress. And a few people told me that, you know, you should get this story out there. If what you want to do is share this with others and eventually and continue to help other people in similar situations, then you got to start, you know, sharing the pod, sharing it on a platform like a podcast. And podcasting really is that perfect platform because I've been able to 
have guests on that I normally wouldn't have talked to and just, you know, put things down on paper and speak them out that I, you know, speak things that I wouldn't normally talk about, you know, when it's not uh, something like a podcast. So it's been great so far. And uh, that is, I'd say, the overall background of why I started it. And it's going to keep evolving. I hope in a couple of years, it's going to be completely different than it is now. And I'm really just using it as a platform to continue to pursue my interests. So, you know, if it completely changes and we're talking about, I don't know, if we're going all in on snowshoeing in two years and every episode's about snowshoeing, then so be it. I don't think it will be, but uh, what I'm trying to say is, you know, I'm just going with the flow of it for my interests. I appreciate that. Um, I do think that one of the things that you share in one of your episodes is that um, cerebral palsy has helped you see the world as your library. And in your episodes um, and the things you share, I can tell that you have a thirst for knowledge. Um, And I love to see your interests and um, you expand upon those as you go throughout grad school and, you know, over at Columbia and then working with um, the children in the lab that we'll discuss later. Yeah, the the world being the library, that's something I've definitely thought about mostly in the last few years. Um, I guess a little more background that will make, we'll put it into context is that when I was a sophomore at Colby Sawyer, where Maddie and I met actually, uh, actually in, in all things in a history of death course that was not my favorite course, uh, a lot of writing and uh, I don't know what quick thing, what, what were your thoughts on that class? I would say, oh, it was interesting. It's definitely hard to study that in like a collegial setting. I know that they're, I appreciated learning about like the different religions and how they interpreted death. And, but I, I just remember it being kind of heavy in like, you know, while we're going through undergrad um, what about you? What were your thoughts on that? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I agree now. Uh, back then, I was not into academics at all. And I just was trying to get those thousand word essays done as fast as I could. And <laughs> didn't really get much from it, honestly. But yeah, um, yeah. So that was, I guess this ties back into what I was going to say. Uh, I was pretty, you know, just focused on baseball at the time. That was what I went to Colby Sawyer for. And I didn't care about academics at all. I barely got by my first semester. And I think that was my sophomore year, which is when I got cut from the baseball team, which was a big surprise to me. And that completely took away my identity at the time. And I was fueled by revenge and anger. And just that that was it. And I thought it was the end of the world at the time. And after a lot of time with reflecting and starting to open up about CP because cerebral palsy, I'll refer to it as CP. Um, I just pushed aside everything about CP. We didn't talk about it in my household. I tried not to acknowledge it. I tried to push through it. And, you know, it's just something you can't push through. It's uh, There's a neurological basis for it. And there's no changing that. So 
I slowly started to realize, you know, if I want to continue to improve myself athletically and also maybe do something good for the world instead of just being fueled by revenge, then I should start opening up about this and start looking into it more because it just, I don't think I said the word cerebral palsy for probably the first, what was that, 19 years of my life. I just pushed it aside completely. So after getting cut from the team, started opening up about it, started getting into academics. I was studying exercise science at the time and started tying those things into how I could apply it to CP and myself and ended up switching to play tennis for the remaining two and a half years of undergrad and had a better time doing that than I ever could have imagined and Mm -hmm. met more people from around the world and had better connections than anything that ever happened with baseball. So when one door closed, another one opened and it ended up being much better than I could have ever imagined. I remember hearing about that on the podcast and I'm glad that, um, I'm not glad, but even though it was really hard for you at the time, it, it almost, it was like another door into discovering yourself later on. So I think that's beautiful. Yeah, exactly. Another door. And, you know, at the moment it was awful, but it was really probably the best thing that ever happened to me. Because if I stayed down that path, I don't think I would be doing all the things that I'm grateful for today. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So, I wanted to just go into the science a little bit behind cerebral palsy. And um, I do remember sometimes it can result from brain anoxia that you mentioned in the podcast earlier. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, whether it's an issue prenatally or usually around birth, some sort of complication where the there's a lack of oxygen to the developing brain. It creates what's called an upper motor neuron lesion, which is where the neurons from your motor cortex in your brain, the connection between that and your spinal cord. So like these upper motor neurons pretty much govern everything from the brain to the spinal cord. And then there's more nerves that go from the spinal cord to the muscles. But if that, you know, head governor is pretty much cut out from the lesion where there's not enough oxygen, then it will manifest in uh, impaired posture, impaired movement, and everything like that. And it's really similar to what happens in stroke. So it seems like more Mm -hmm. people are familiar with understanding what stroke is. Um, And a lot of the same symptoms occur. But the difference is that CP happens at birth or up to two years of age. So when there's infants that have this injury, they have nothing to base. They have, it's all their, you know, they're not, they don't have a baseline of movement. It's, they're starting from scratch with the movement impairments. So that's what happened to me and everybody else who has CP. And it leads to um, hypertonicity. So what that is, is it's an increase in muscle tone and um, that manifests in different ways and spasticity. Um, and the best way that I like to explain it in simple terms is like, think about you had rubber bands all over your body and they were contracting and pulling 
when you didn't want it to because the muscles say a muscle on one side of the joint should be contracting the other one should be relaxing maybe both of them are contracting and it just creates this rigidity and it's like those rubber bands are just pulling on each other and working against each other instead of the natural fluid and efficient movement so that's why i my whole thing is movement fluidity because i grew up without movement fluidity and moved in a very herky-jerky manner and have wanted to improve movement fluidity because I believe it improves quality of life. Thank you for providing uh, that explanation because I know that um, it can be a little hard to understand exactly what cerebral palsy is. I uh, know that it did impact, as you mentioned previously, like your confidence uh, going throughout school and then athletics, especially because I remember you sharing that, um, let's say, other children would, you know, be able to do certain things that it was more difficult for you to do. Yeah, I mean, so there's there's definitely it's very multifactorial and. A big thing that people don't understand about it is that emotions can be tied into it. And that also depends on your perception of it. Like, say, I just never cared what anybody thought about me. Maybe this wouldn't be the case. But since I did want to fit in and I was self-conscious about it, like the the thing that probably made my movement the worst is something like walking and walking in front of a class to go present or something like that where, you know, I feel like there's eyes on me, judging me, viewing how I walk as, you know, different. And in turn, that tightens up the body from all the neurochemicals and everything associated with fear. And there's really, it's not well known about the mechanisms behind that. But the, for me, the emotions tied in with it were the most important thing the, the biggest barrier to get over and and the more and more I open up about it and I'm, I'm able to talk about it the the more free I feel physically and mentally because if I tried to open up like this you know what was that four four or five years ago my body would mm. just shut down I would be so tight I would my legs would be shaking um, so I, I've always thought that's that's really interesting about the connection between um, just emotions and the, the physical body. Mm-hmm. In one of your episodes too, uh, thinking of how emotions are held in the body, there's an episode that Charlie has that talks about the fascia of the body and how it holds on to emotions. And so let's say you give the example of um, foam rolling and then that, how that can actually release really intense emotions that you didn't know that were in your body at you know, for so long. Yeah, that I, I forgot I did that episode. That was that was a while ago. <laughs> Thanks for listening to that one. I never knew uh, about that, so I thought that was cool. Yeah, I, I read this book called The Body Keeps the Score, which is a, a really great book, and they go into that. And the the fascial system is super complex, and there's there's more sensory nerve uh, neurons than 
anything in the body and they're picking up on information from the environment 24 7 and uh, especially with cp there there's a it's not well understood yet but going back to what i was talking about with the initial brain injury those infants start out what's called with they're hypotonic so hypotonic they have low muscle tone they have low tone throughout the body and their fascial system is uh, very loosey-goosey almost like somebody who's hypermobile but then something like spasticity develops as a compensatory mechanism to stabilize joints so they don't just fully get injured um, but the fascial system i don't think recovers i think it stays in that state of you know not having enough tension and compression as they say so a big part of my training now is focusing on the fascial system and it's really interesting how like yeah if i'm foam rolling or or doing some sort of release it 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 feels like emotions that i didn't even know were there can arise and it's it can be a scary feeling but overall i know it's a good thing and um as i continue on in grad school i i hope to tailor my research somewhat towards the fascial system and cp because nothing is really being done with that and i think the possibilities are are limitless um <laughs> and I would highly recommend that book, The Body Keeps the Score, to anybody that's interested in this topic. Mm -hmm. Who who wrote that book? Oh, who is it? Oh, I thought I had it. I think I I don't have it here. I want to say Norman Doidge. It's, okay. But I could be wrong about that. We can put it in the notes and then yeah. we'll, we can link the book. That sounds great. Awesome. Uh, I know that you've mentioned that book before on the podcast, so it must be very good. Yes. So you uh, so you finished college at Colby Sawyer uh, undergrad, and you majored in kinesiology and exercise science. And then, correct me if I'm wrong, but you moved on to be a personal trainer at Coastal Performance? Yes. So finished undergrad in 2022, and then... Worked as a personal trainer for about a year in Brunswick, Maine, and had a really good time with that. It was a lot of general population stuff, like adult strength classes and some young athletes and different things like that, and then started to work with a little bit of the neurological condition population, so I helped run a few senior balance classes for women with Parkinson's and worked with a few people with CP on the side, and slowly started to realize that that was what I was passionate about. And especially in Maine and uh, Brunswick, which is, you know, not very densely populated. They're just that population is pretty small. And um, just being a personal trainer, I felt like I couldn't fulfill the the desire to make a big enough impact on that population. So that's when I decided to uh, start looking at grad schools where I could start going further down the road of the neurological conditions, specifically CP. And that's where I found uh, the motor learning and motor control department at 
Columbia. So it's at Teachers College, which is one the one of the graduate schools through Columbia, and found that program and knew it was the right one right away. It's the only program like that out there. And uh, yeah, I guess that was the path to get where I am today. Uh, but learned a lot from from personal training. And I think there's a big hole in what is needed for people with CP, specifically, or I guess especially adults with CP, because a lot of the research is done with kids. And then um, they're in these great hospitals where a lot of great work is done. Uh, granted, the brain is more plastic when they're younger, so you can maybe get uh, some greater benefits. But then when somebody turns 18, they just leave you to do whatever you want. And most of these people with CP end up not exercising and getting in their routines of life. And because of that, their symptoms of CP worsen uh, pretty severely and can also maybe impact mm. some other comorbidities. So um, now I, th I think a big part of my mission is to help people and adults with CP figure out that there is the possibility for long-lasting improvement and uh, greater engagement in uh, whether it's a social event or exercise or something along those lines because um, most people don't do that. So then it seems like it's not possible, but I'm, I believe I'm, I'm living and walking proof that that uh, big change is possible. And there's a lot of other people doing these similar things. You know, I had a few people on my podcast who have done big hikes. One guy, shout out to Jake, he did the whole Appalachian yeah. Trail. Uh, shout out to Bonner, he did the uh, Mount Kilimanjaro and an Ironman. So the adults with CP can do things that doctors will tell you is impossible. So clearly isn't impossible. And I think that message just needs to get shared more and there needs to be research that provides better guidelines for it. I, I love that. I Bonner's story is great. That was your most recent episode and he's doing wonderful things in the areas of um, cerebral palsy and just all movement um, disorders as well. Yeah, he is the man. I, I really look up to him. He has a, a book as well. Can you remind yes. me what what it's called? It is called One More Step. Uh, I believe that there's a new subtitle on it. I think it's Making the Impossible Possible, and all of the proceeds of that go towards his foundation, which is called Project Possible, and they have foundations all over the world helping kids with disabilities, uh, especially it started out in Tanzania where Mount Kilimanjaro is, and these kids just don't have the access that we do here in the States. And, you know, somebody like me that grew up in a household where my parents were taking me to doctor's appointments and trying to give me the best care and, you know, having great nutrition and great support and uh, good social groups. When there's people that don't have these things, the, the physical manifestations can be vastly different even if the, the brain injury was the same. So I really like how he's approaching going for the the people who need it the most. Yeah, we can link um, his website in the notes below as well because I enjoyed reviewing that. So awesome. I'm also curious, 
Uh, you've had some classes this past semester. I'm curious about uh, what have you learned that's been pretty impactful for you and changed your view on um, just certain things that in the cerebral palsy or uh, movement disorders? Yeah, so had some good classes to start. Um, I had one class in motor learning that was definitely that definitely stood out just from the overall basics of everything but it wasn't really related to to cp and uh, a couple other classes you know it, it it's cool at the graduate level because i can tailor it to cp so if we have to read a study or something i can just go off and do it on cp so pretty much every every class i tied in um these things that i was interested in but the class that stood out the most was my movement disorders class and each week we went over a different movement disorder and actually the first week was on cp and we had guest lecturers come in from all around the country and they would speak on it and we'd be able to ask questions and go back and forth and uh just learned a ton about it i mean too much to too too much to talk about yeah. on on a quick episode um but just realizing that how how little I know about it and how it'll take a a full a full career of research to even scratch the surface and the more I know about this complex disorder the the less I know if that makes sense you know the, mm -hmm. the more I figure out the more questions arise and um it's it's just really a complicated topic and uh I think I'm up for the challenge but at times it can be discouraging you know like find you know finding out that there are great researchers doing work on regenerating um those upper motor neuron lesions that i talked about but it doesn't seem like it, it will be possible to uh to have you know a, a cure so to speak of cp and i've always thought that anything is possible so hearing these really great professors say that that'll never happen can be discouraging, but I still believe anything's possible and um, we're, we're all just scratching the surface. So a lot more to be made, but that class really stood out and just tying it in with other movement disorders like MS or Parkinson's or also mm -hmm. stroke, which carries over a lot and just starting to understand how the the brain and body work together. And uh, like I said, raising more questions, the more I learn. Yeah. You also serve as a research interventionist uh, over, uh, I think it's the Center for Cerebral Palsy Research. Is that, am I correct? Yeah, that's it. Exactly. Okay, perfect. And uh, you're working there with individuals to improve strength and posture and aid in the acquisition of motor skills. And this is a volunteer position. And how has this serving in this capacity influenced the way um, you view your learning and your current life? It's been great. I started out, they do a few different camps, they call it, where uh, they bring in a group of kids and then it contributes to a different research study that's going on. Uh, the one that we did in the fall, it's called uh, Habit, 
or hand arm by manual training. So these kids, they do a lot of tasks with both hands uh, that are, you know, whether it's a game or something like tying their shoes or anything like that. Um, it was a 16 week intervention and we saw them for, it was a, it was six hours each Saturday. And, um, so the, the basis of it is the fine motor control. So like hand movements and different things like that, but also posture and strength is pretty heavily tied into it. And the head professor, Dr. Gordon, he realized that I had a background in strength and conditioning. And when I reached out to him about my interest in this, he gave me quite a bit of freedom to pursue trying out different tactics that I've found to work on myself and others through personal training and tie them into the study. So what I did is I would have about 20 or 30 minutes with each individual during those six hours where I would take them into a room with a few other interventionists and uh, basically just run a strength training protocol but it looked very different than your typical strength training you know it's not lifting weights per se it's really tying in positions that increase the demands on certain muscles but are in a game-like state so you know i can't just have this eight-year-old who has cp go do a bunch of bicep curls because one, it wouldn't be very effective. It wouldn't carry over to everyday tasks. And and two, they they would just lose interest. There's no way they would have the attention span to do that. So it would be something like laying on their back and their feet would be up and I would be throwing a balloon and they're kicking it back, back and forth to me. Or they're in a, a tall kneeling position and we're playing their favorite game on a a big uh, block that's around eye level so they're having to reach up and use their core and their hips to stabilize so it was really interesting being creative with that and it's definitely difficult it's not like working with an able-bodied athlete where you can do any exercise you want but the carryover to improvements in everyday life is really profound with these kids and in these 16 weeks, some of these kids that really could could hardly sit on their own were not only sitting on their own, but walking with a walker, standing on their own, doing things like putting on and off their shoes and their braces that they weren't able to do. And these things that really help them and their families because of greater independence um, just from, from a 16 week intervention where we only saw them once a week. So, um, there's a lot of factors that go into it. Hopefully these, these kids, you know, keep doing it because the, the neurons that, that fire, fire together, wire together. So it can be kind of a user lose it principle, but it's pretty cool to see the amount of changes that can happen from really good training and that it can carry over to, uh, just the independence and, and the joy that that happens with these kids. I mean, you know, like working with these athletes and they maybe you you help them run a little bit faster or you're playing baseball and their pitching velocity goes from 84 to 86. Like 
eh, all right. But when you go from a kid who can't go upstairs on his own to being able to go upstairs on his own, it changes their whole life. So I've really found that uh, to be super rewarding. And uh, that's what is keeping me going with uh, with mm -hmm. this field, because it definitely is complicated. That's incredible. I, I can imagine that must be so rewarding to hear that. And it also reminds me of like the concept of neuroplasticity. So um, from my understanding, and you've explained it really well in your podcast, but it's pretty much the ability to make neural new neural pathways around a brain injury, let's say, uh, for these uh, individuals. So the brain can reorganize or with these new cues, they can learn new movements. Yeah, exactly. And we have a great crew of people there, a lot of occupational therapists that are better with the fine motor skills than I am. So uh, combining that with the strength and posture things that, that I threw in there and uh, just everybody that was a part of it was, was great. So uh, really lucky to be a part of that. And I'm looking forward to uh, this next semester. We're combining with a, a group up in White Plains, New York, uh, where we're going to be doing a, a similar study, but with some sort of brain stimulation uh, before and, and during the intervention to see if it's doing the same thing that we were doing could be reduced quite a bit uh, in, in terms of time because doing interventions that are upwards of 150 hours um mm -hmm. you know that that just can't is, is sometimes not feasible i see yeah so what what class is that tied to or what uh that's not a class that's just just working in the lab so oh, okay. um definitely can tie it into any class really um, mm -hmm. but that is, uh, the center for CP research that, that you mentioned. So separate from classes. Okay. I see. For some reason I thought they were connected. Yeah, no, no. Okay. I see. I, oh, I look forward to, you know, hearing about how the research goes and I hope it goes well. You'll be going back in a few days. When do you start? I start the 16th. So... Uh, yeah, I head back on Sunday, actually, so a little longer than I thought, and then we'll jump right back into it, and it, right now it's hard to get participants for that study. After COVID, it, it's been a challenge to get the same level of, of participation, so uh, we're hoping to, mm -hmm. to find more people, uh, but definitely looking forward to that and uh, just pushing myself in different ways. This this whole brain stimulation thing is, is pretty over my head at the moment, but... Uh, I'll just stick with it and, and we'll, we'll figure it out. Mm, definitely. And uh, in addition to inspiring me, I'm sure you're inspiring so many other people that you're encountering um, over there with that kind of work. Ah, thank you so much, Maddie. Yeah, definitely. I uh, also know that uh, in New York, you've had to push yourself outside your comfort zone. Um, a lot of new things in terms of this kind of work and then uh, grad school. How are you? Um, what are you feeling like the kind of energy about this new year? 
Yeah, I've never been a big New Year's res- resolution guy. I just think mm. if if you want to do something, just do it now, and the time doesn't matter. There's n- no magic. Nothing magic happens when the ball drops. Um, so really, just continuing with what I'm what I'm doing, but you know, still a good time to reflect at the end of the year. So the big thing I I've thought about that we talked a little bit about is, uh, yeah, the relationship with fear and, um, just being open to new experiences and realizing that on the other side of fear is often greatness and a lot of things where, you know, I start thinking about whether I should do it or not. Uh, so jujitsu in down in Manhattan, um, scared me a lot at the beginning but realized that I got to do it and uh, it's been the best thing, the best exercise, the best thing for CP related symptoms that I probably have ever done. Um, Also things like working in the lab, uh, reaching out to professors, reaching out to different people for the podcast. You know, I feel like, I, I guess I can only speak on, on my perspective, but I feel like Everybody has uh, this internal dialogue when it comes to fear, where you start asking yourself questions, you start reasoning why you shouldn't do things, because the the fear is taking over, and that can often lead to the uh, the paralysis through analysis. And mm-hmm. what I'm starting to to do is, whenever that fear comes on and that analysis starts starts coming on and I, I start going back and forth about whether some whether I should do something. I I just use that as the cue to just do it. So whether it's say it's reaching out to a podcast guest and I'm super nervous about it, instead of, you know, saying, all right, I'll I'll do it later and analyzing it and thinking, overthinking about how I should say something or what I should say mm-hmm. that I just use that as the cue to just do it right away and don't even think about it. And more times than not, by far, it turns out to be to be great. And if uh, I let that fear, you know, manifest, can miss out on a lot of opportunities. So just trying to be as open to new opportunities, opportunities as I can this upcoming year, uh, because I really believe on the other side of fear is greatness. Do you have anything uh, on uh, on the new year or an- anything uh, similar that uh, you'd like to touch on too, Maddie? Yeah, yeah. I similar to you. I want to, you know, work on my relationship with fear when something does scare me, and I do have an intention of reaching out to more people that inspire me, and kind of trying to push through that internal dialogue with myself when I do have that analysis paralysis and uh, pushing through the fear because reminding myself that my curiosity is larger. Um, So similar to you in that sense, I think it's really important. And the times I have pushed through my fear this past year has been so wonderful. I've had so many great moments of like really beautiful, authentic connection, excitement. So just because like all that positive reinforcement, I feel um, more convicted to keep on pushing further. Awesome. Yeah, totally. 
I'm excited for us. It's going to be a great year. It will be. 2024 going to be a good one. It will be. So I hope that this week goes well for you. I know that. Are you going to go snowshoeing tomorrow? I think so. I heard we're getting a lot of rain on Wednesday with 50-degree uh, oh. weather. So tomorrow's going to be the day to get it in. So going to head out to another yeah. another trail and uh, get it in while I can. There you go. Awesome. Well, I hope it's wonderful for you. I hope this week is filled with positive energy and light. And I look forward to catching up again soon. Yeah, thanks, Maddie. Thanks for having me on. Uh, like I said before, I really like your podcast and keep doing what you're doing. So, uh, yeah, oh, hope you likewise. have a great year and, and look forward to catching up soon. All right. Take care, Charlie. You too. For those who are listening, I encourage you to check out Charlie's podcast, the Movement Fluidity Podcast, on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. You can also follow Charlie on Instagram at charlie.graphius, G-R-A-F-F-I-U-S. Below in the show notes are the resources mentioned in the conversation, such as the link to the book, The Body Keeps the Score, Brain, Mind, and Body in the Healing of Trauma by Bessel van de Kock, and the book, One More Step, My Story of Living with Cerebral Palsy, Climbing Mount Kilimanjaro, and Surviving the Hardest Race on Earth by Bonner Paddock, who Charlie interviews in episode 21 of the Movement Fluidity podcast. Also mentioned in our conversation, Paddock has spearheaded Project Possible, a nonprofit with the vision to empower children with disabilities and their families to live life beyond limits. You may learn more about this organization at projectpossible.org. Thank you for tuning in. Really appreciate it. And till next time.